Chapter Twenty Four of From Different Standpoints by Pansy and Fay Huntington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. If anybody ever went back home after a long absence with a vivid sense of responsibility and a strong determination to accomplish a great deal, that person was Eunice Taylor. She had plans and schemes innumerable. Her home, her father and mother, her boys her friends in every direction came in for a share of her planning so much to do so much that she could do there was a sad side to it all there was no mother harrison eagerly and intelligently interested in every new enterprise to talk it all over with and eunice did not yet realize how she should miss her although she thought she did but she was just now in the mood to be lifted up even over the sadness her life seemed to her to be one of self-abnegation, of self-surrender, and it was fitting that this friend, too, should be given up. I am afraid during these first days Eunice took a sort of sad pleasure in her self-sacrifice, dwelling with a certain feeling that might almost be called satisfaction, on the desolateness of the life stretching out before her. No special friend! one special friend lying in the grave and one special friend further removed from her than though the grave covered him for then she said to herself drearily i should have the right to think about him and it did not seem to occur to her that certainly she was thinking about him most of the time whether she had the right or not indeed these two people if the truth must be told were in danger of considering themselves very interesting martyrs, and of making the most of their martyrdom in what seemed a perfectly decorous way, to be sure. It is a dangerous experience when two people deliberately agree that, though solemn and insurmountable barriers divide them from each other, they still were made and originally intended for each other, and that, therefore, they have the right to get what comfort they can out of the waste of life that remains eunice taylor had clearly accepted the situation she reasoned with herself after this fashion if perry were happy and at rest i should have moral courage enough and pride enough to make myself forget even his existence if i chose but he has made a frightful mistake and now there only remains for us to do right and get what comfort we can out of it so she planned for the school she would consult Perry about this and that and the other thing, and see that matters shaped themselves just according to his taste. He should not be disappointed there, at least. She found herself constantly wondering if Perry would like this and approve of that, and determining within her mind to strike out a dozen new ways that would require his help and advice. All simple, innocent plans enough, valuable in themselves, destined if carried out to do a great deal of good and destined also to give her almost unlimited opportunity for seeing and consulting with perry harrison so pure and innocent were all these plans so entirely on the side of what she believed to be duty that they did not interfere in the least with her determination to pray and watch for the change in mrs harrison that she believed would make a different woman of her and yet it must be confessed that she had no more faith that the change would come than she had that any other well-nigh impossible thing would happen to her 
the promise involved in the believe that ye receive and ye shall have she certainly could not claim as for perry his life by no means looked so bright to him as una's did to her he was weighed down under a heavy load of pain and sorrow he felt both physically and mentally unable to cope with the dreary monster that life seemed to him to have become he was interested indeed in all the plans for work but not with that absorbed interest that he had once felt a pall seemed to him to have dropped over everything and constantly he had to struggle with the desire to do the only easy or inviting thing that there seemed left to do drop all effort at self-control and self-nurture and lie down on a sick-bed and let life drift away from him during these days his source of comfort and strength humanly speaking was found in tom haddington who lingered despite the need he felt for going because he was anxious over his brother-in-law's state and saw that he was helpful to him also to be frank that was not the only reason why he lingered he was entirely frank with himself he knew that it was pleasanter for him to stay in the vicinity of eunice taylor than it was to stay anywhere else in the world the little plan about her approaching marriage with a redwood farmer that his sister had concocted fell to the ground by reason of his straightforward nature after revolving the matter for a few days he cut it short by the frank question by the way perry is miss taylor soon to marry to marry repeated perry wheeling around on him in the library and looking amazement consternation and annoyance in the same second who on earth would you have her marry it might not rest with me you know tom answered with heightened color but i heard the report and thought you would be likely to know it is utterly false perry said haughtily as if he had been personally aggrieved and tom looking at him with grave pitying eyes said no more and felt that he had learned more than he meant to meantime perry struggled hard against the feeling of despair where his wife was concerned and tried to reason himself into a braver stronger state yet his prayers for her were much like una's hopeless and spiritless what would the all-wise all-pitying lord do to help and keep these two children of his whose lives ran so closely together and yet so far apart perry had his help first and as was fitting it came through the friend who was becoming so dear to him they were talking he and tom about a young man in whom perry had for a year past interested himself i don't know the latter said wearily just at the close of the conversation i feel rather hopeless in regard to him i can't think of anything that will be likely to touch him he is in a dangerous way and he seems to me to be in a very hopeless way i confess that i am discouraged tom surveyed him thoughtfully as one who wondered whether it would be better to speak or keep silent at last he said do you know i don't like to hear you speak in that way my brother in what way perry asked smiling a very tender smile amid all the soreness of his present relations there was one bright spot in the thought that his marriage gave him a right to claim brotherhood with this young man why that you can't think of anything that will touch that man and that you are discouraged 
it seems to me to limit the power of god don't you think my brother that god can touch his heart if he wills to do so and don't you think that he waits to hear your prayer in this matter and that though he may see fit to keep you long waiting he will assuredly answer in his time certainly this was not new doctrine to perry harrison had he been questioned in regard to his belief he would have most likely expressed his views in language very similar to that which his brother had used yet it suited the lord just then to pour a sudden flood of light on this thought insomuch that it seemed to him like a new revelation he had no answer for tom he was silent for several minutes but when he turned his face that way again it glowed with a brightness that of late had been entirely strange to him even then he only said thank you and tom haddington went away feeling that the lord had spoken words of meaning to his friend it wasn't of the young man of whom they had been speaking that perry thought when left alone it was of his wife had he not in his heart believed that she was hopelessly hardened and indifferent had not his prayers for her seemed to himself like leaden weights dropping down into dust as soon as uttered had he not said to himself that he knew of nothing which could reach her now suddenly there flashed over him the remembrance of the omnipotence of the god whom he served what mattered it that he did not know how to reach her christ did and just then and there it came to him the hope nay more than the hope the belief that christ would have her for his own from that hour there was a new power for living and doing breathed into perry harrison's discouraged heart as the days went on he carried out many of his plans with eagerness and arranged for more work in every direction and threw himself into it but the consuming desire of his heart became the conversion of his wife for that he prayed with all his soul about that he thought wherever he went and whatever he was about it colored all his words to her and all his actions he was in a constant eager state of expectation he looked for something very surprising to come to her and rouse her his faith had not yet reached high enough to remember that god has no need of great or surprising ways of doing things but it had reached high enough to give him faith that in some way the work would be done the natural result of such praying and such living followed what is the natural result well there are several but the one of which i now speak is the fact of the impossibility of praying daily hourly i might almost say constantly for a person without having spring up in the heart a tender patient unselfish feeling for that person that shall pervade all conversation and color all association and when that person is a man's wife bound to him by sacred ties that in the sight of god he has no right to sever the feeling grows until it may safely be called a high and holy form of love so although the early passionate love that perry harrison believed himself to have felt for his bride had died a violent death there came in its stead this tender patient persistent unselfish love that would not give her up that would not turn away from and as far as possible forget her but would be in every word and in every thought true and patient 
in short there came to perry the knowledge that this matter of loving is not a blind chance as so many even christian people seem to think but that god's hand held it and his power could manage it i cannot tell you how it rested this tossed soul to feel that even his mistakes were in his father's keeping and that that father was bound in honour to bring good out of them now what of eunice who will help her for truly i tell you she was in danger she had come to that dangerous place where she believed that it was impossible to help thinking of and planning with perry harrison in a way that it was not good for any woman to think of and plan for another woman's husband the most prosaic and wearisome of all helps came to her a blessing so utterly disguised that she wept bitter tears over it and wondered why and why until her brain reeled into the midst of her eager working and planning came a morning when on attempting to rise she could only groan miserably and fall back on her pillow with a sense of weakness and pain as new to her as it was unwelcome so utterly unaccustomed was she to sickness that through all the day she patiently fought the symptoms feeling assured that she would conquer by the next morning and it was five long miserable days before she succumbed to the fact that a slow prostrating fever had her in its grasp and she was not to get away at least not until it had taken time to wear out her strength and powers of endurance a miserable invalid was eunice taylor she was willing to work no matter how hard the drudgery she believed her strength equal to it at least she stood ready to try it but to lie still and be waited upon to have the doctor come and count her pulse and look at her tongue and give his unpalatable doses and his more unpalatable advice to have her mother go up and down stairs twenty times in the course of one forenoon to minister to her necessities to have the father whose hard life she had meant to help in so many ways grow daily paler and more anxious over her these required more fortitude than eunice felt she possessed still it would do no good to say i can't this was work from which she could not slip away and excuse herself by an apology of unfitness her class had a substitute a stout girl in the kitchen did much of her work her plans most of them went on with perry's help but nobody was to be found who would take her place in that bed and stare day after day at the pattern of crooked lilies on the wallpaper how could she help wondering and wondering why she was not allowed to work just as in her own estimation she was ready all this did not take place immediately after the homecoming indeed the bustle of the holidays was well over before eunice found that she was sick but the sickness the first violence of it being spent still lingered in that hopeless dreary way that so many invalids understand no worse and apparently no better day after day all her life long eunice remembered the misery of those days she saw nothing of perry either his prayers or his new hopes had opened his eyes to the belief that it would be better for his wife better for himself to see as little of eunice as possible and what he did not know how to manage her sickness came in and managed for him he did not forget her his remembrance took most practical forms 
the stout girl in the kitchen came by his recommendation and was sustained by his purse and not a day passed that substantials and delicacies did not appear at the little house across the way from the great house every day he was careful to learn just how she was but although the days grew into weeks and the weeks into almost two months and una was sitting in state in the great armchair that used to be his mother's and had been sent over specially for her he did not come near her there were days at first when this was very bitter to una then there came days when she was very indignant then there came days when she felt that he was wise and she was foolish but that she must still continue to be foolish that there was no help for her except in death and she weakly and feebly prayed to die not only meaning that much more than she had meant some other prayers of hers but too weak and desolate to know what she did mean at last she happened happened upon a sentence in an old book written many years ago the writer of which had for years been sleeping in his kindred dust and these were the words she read shall a soul suppose that its plans and aims and prospects are all mapped out for it by the divine hand each little thing it shall do each little way it shall go except that great and wonderful thing the love of the human heart for another human heart shall it believe that that experience is a matter of chance that god has nothing to do with it that he cannot control it that if it love unworthily it must therefore continue to love unworthily through all time no help that if it love unwisely the unwisdom must continue that if it allow itself to love a wicked man it must forever love that wicked man what folly is this shall not he who formed the human heart be capable to control and guide its passions if that heart be but willing to submit to his guiding there was more of it but eunice dropped the book and lay back on her pillow and cried not for sorrow either but for joy here was help a great and mighty helper not unworthily was her love bestowed but unwisely yes since the object of it had said of another woman and forsaking all others i will cleave only to her thus much una had some weeks ago begun to realize but she was still in the meshes of the folly that there was no help no escape she had not forgotten her almighty saviour she still depended on him for salvation for heaven but she had ignored his messages lo i am with you always let not your heart be troubled i will give you rest unconsciously she had adopted the absurd platform that a love like hers was wrong and that she must continue its victim she never forgot that day when light broke upon her darkness it was curious how rapidly she recovered after that rapidly as compared with her long days and weeks of no progress but the work was slow enough march with her blustering moods was almost passing out from them before una appeared wan and pale still despite the crimson wrapper in the little parlor and was pronounced able to see one or two friends afterward years afterward it struck her as a strange thing that the last person from the outside world with whom she had talked on that evening before her sickness was tom haddington and the first person who opened the door eagerly on her that first afternoon that she was downstairs 
was tom haddington with a tiny bunch of hot-house violets she remembered vividly the first words she said to him i didn't know you were in town when did you come and then in the very next breath how is laura myers i'm sure i don't know he answered wonderingly to her second question i haven't seen her for three months and i don't happen to remember that i have heard any one mention her name is she a special friend of yours i didn't know it then una's cheeks were suddenly red her own question began to seem so absurd to her and then feeling that she was blushing and feeling vexed that she should she blushed harder than ever and then tom came and laid the sweet-smelling spring beauties in her lap and stood before her smiling End of chapter 24